Chapter Thirteen of Philo Gubb, Correspondence School Detective. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Philo Gubb, Correspondence School Detective, by Ellis Parker Butler. Chapter Thirteen: The Half of a Thousand. Philo Gubb sat in his office in the Opera House block, with a large green volume open on his knees, reading a paragraph of some ten lines. He had read this paragraph twenty times before, but he never tired of reading it. It began, Gubb, Philo, Detective and Decorator, B. Higginsville, Iowa, June twenty-six, 1868, Educated, Higginsville, Iowa, Primary Schools entered decorating profession eighteen eighty eight graduated with honors rising sun detective agency's correspondence school of detecting nineteen ten he hoped that some day this short record of his life might be lengthened by at least one line which would say that he had m cyrilla meadowbrook and since his escape from petunia scroggs and her wiles and the latest telegram from cyrilla he had reason for the hope as mr gubb had not tried to collect the one hundred dollars due him from miss scroggs he had nothing with which to pay mr meadowbrook more on account of the utterly hopeless mining stock but under his agreement with mr meadowbrook he had paid that gentleman thirty-seven dollars and fifty cents for the last telegram from cyrilla this had read joy and rapture have given up all forms of food, have given up spaghetti, fried rabbit, truffles, brown betty, prunes, goulash, Welsh rabbit, hoe-cake, sauerkraut, Philadelphia scrapple, haggis, chop suey, and mush, have lost one hundred and fifty pounds more, weigh seven hundred forty-five, going down every hour, kiss gubby for me, Mr. Gubb, therefore, mused pleasantly as he read the book that contained the short but interesting reference to himself. The book with the green cover was Iowa's Prominent Citizen's sixth edition, and was a sort of local or state who's who. In its pages, for the first time, Philo Gubb appeared, and he took great delight in reading there how great he was. We all do. We are never so sure we are great as when we read it in print. It is always comforting to a great man to be reassured that he was B. Dobbinsville, Iowa, 1869, and that he M. Jane, daughter of Oscar and Siluria Botts, 1897, and that he is not yet D. There are some of us who are never sure we are not D., except when we see our names in the current volume of Who's Who, Who's It, or Iowa's Prominent Citizens. Outside Philo Gubb's door a man was standing, studying that part of Iowa's prominent citizens, devoted to the town of Riverbank. The man was not as young as he appeared to be. His garments were of youthful cut and cloth, being of the sort generally known as college youth style, but they were themselves no longer youthful. In fact, the man looked seedy. Notwithstanding this, he had an air, a something, that attracted and held the attention a cane gave some of it the extreme good style of his panama hat gave some of it his carriage and the gold rim eyeglasses with the black silk neck ribbon gave still more 
when however he removed his hat one saw that he was partly bald and that his reddish hair was combed carefully to cover the bald spot the book in his hand was a small memorandum book and in this he had pasted the various notices cut from iowa's prominent citizens and one only cut from who's who relating to citizens of riverbank he had done this for convenience as well as for safety for thus he had all the riverbank prominence in compact form and avoided the necessity of carrying iowa's prominent citizens and who's who about with him that would have been more or less dangerous particularly so since he had been exposed by the new york sun as the bald impostor the bald impostor to explain him briefly was a professional relative he was the greatest son cousin nephew in the united states and always he was the son cousin or nephew of one of the great of one of the great mentioned in who's who he was as variable as a chameleon sometimes he was a son cousin or nephew of some one beginning with a and sometimes of some one beginning with z but usually of some one with about twelve to fourteen lines in who's who the great theory he had established and which was the basis of all his operations was this every who's who is proud of every other who's who and no who's who can refuse the son cousin or nephew of any other who's who five dollars when asked for one dollar and eighty cents the bald impostor's operation was simple in the extreme he went to riverbank he found let us say the name of judge orley morvis in who's who then he looked up chief justice bassio bates in the latest who's who gathered a few facts regarding him from that useful volume and called on judge orley morvis having a judge to impose upon he began by introducing himself as the favorite nephew of chief justice bassio bates being in town he would say when the judge was mellowed by the thought that a nephew of bassio bates was before him i remembered that you were located here my uncle has often spoken to me of your admirable decision in the higgins hoopmeyer calf case the higgins hoopmeyer case is mentioned in who's who the judge can't help being pleased to learn that chief justice bassio bates approved his decision in the higgins hoopmeyer case my uncle has often regretted that you have never met says the bald impostor if he had known i was to be in riverbank he would have sent his copy of your work leans and torts to be autographed leans and torts is the one volume written by judge orley morvis mentioned in who's who the judge becomes mellower than ever ah yes says the judge tickled and how is your uncle may i ask in excellent health considering his age you know he is ninety-seven says the bald impostor having got the b june twenty third eighteen seventeen from who's who but his toe still bothers him a man of his age you know such things heal slowly no i didn't hear of that says the judge intensely interested he is going to get some intimate details oh it was quite dreadful says the bald impostor he dropped a volume of coke on littleton on it last march no it was april because it was april he spent at my mother's all this is pure invention and that is where the bald impostor leads all others even as he invents details of the sore toe you see he introduces his mother she was taken sick early in april he says and presently he has dr somebody big out of who's who attending to the chief justice's sore toe and advising the mother to try the denver climate 
and the next thing the judge knows the bald impostor is telling that he is now on his way back from denver to chicago so then it comes out the bald impostor sits on the edge of his chair and becomes nervous and perspires perspiring is a sure sign a man is unaccustomed to asking a loan and the bald impostor is entitled to start the first school of free perspiring in america he can perspire in december when the furnace is out and the windows are open all his head pores have self-sprinklers or something of the sort he is as free with beads of perspiration as the early indian traders were with beads of glass he mops them with a white silk handkerchief so he perspires and out comes the cruel admission he needs just one dollar and eighty cents as a matter of fact he has stopped at riverbank because his uncle has so often spoken of judge orley morvis and really one dollar and eighty cents would see him through nicely but my dear boy says the judge kindly the fare is six dollars and your meals a dollar eighty is enough insists the bald impostor i have enough to make up the fare with the one eighty added and i couldn't ask you to pay for my meals i'll i have a few cents and can buy a sandwich my dear boy says judge orley morvis of riverbank and it is what he did say i couldn't think of the nephew of a chief justice of the united states existing for that length of time on a sandwich here here are twenty dollars take them i insist i must insist some give him more than that we usually give him five dollars i admit that when the bald impostor visited me and asked for one dollar and eighty cents i gave him five dollars and an autographed copy of one of my books he was to send the five back by money order the next day unfortunately he seems to have no idea of the flight of time for him to-morrow never seems to arrive for me it is the five that does not arrive the great body of us consider those who give him more than five to be purse-proud plutocrats but then we sometimes give him autographed copies of our books or other touching souvenirs and write in them in memory of a pleasant visit i do wonder what he did with my book judge orley morvis was the only who's who were in riverbank but the town was well represented in iowa's prominent citizens and after collecting twenty dollars from the judge the bald impostor proceeded to mr gubb's office detective and decorator he said to himself i wonder if william j burns has a son better not a crank detective might know all about burns i'm his cousin let me see i'm jared burns of chicago and mother has been to denver for the air he took out the memorandum book again the waffles mustard case the waffles mustard case waffles mustard i must remember that he knocked on the door mr gubb he asked as philo gubb opened the door mr philo gubb i am him yes sir said the paper hanger detective will you step inside into the room thank you yes said the bald impostor as he entered philo gubb drew a chair to his desk and the bald impostor took it he leaned forward ready to begin with the words mr gubb my name is jared burns mr william j burns is my cousin when there came another rap at the door mr gubb's visitor moved uneasily in his chair and mr gubb went to the door dropping an open letter carelessly on the desk slide before the bald impostor 
the new visitor was an italian selling oranges and as mr gubb had fairly to push the italian out of the door the bald impostor had time to read the letter and quite a little ahead of time begin wiping perspiration from his forehead the letter was from the headquarters of the rising sun detective agency and was brutally frank in denouncing the bald impostor as an impostor and painfully plain in describing him as bald it described in the simplest terms his mode of getting money and it warned mr gubb to be on the outlook for him as he is supposed to be working in your district at present the bald impostor gasped a number of victims have organized continued the letter what they call the easy marks association of america and have posted a reward of fifty dollars for the arrest of the fraud the bald impostor glanced toward philo gubb and hastily turned the letter upside down when mr gubb returned the bald impostor was rubbing the palms of his hands together and smiling my name mr gubb he said is alwood burns i am a detective i have heard of your wonderful work in the so-called muffins mustard case waffles mustard said mr gubb i should say waffles said the bald impostor hastily i consider it one of the most remarkable cases of detective acumen on record we in the rising sun detective agency were delighted it was a proof that the methods of our correspondence school of detecting were not short of the best philo gubb stared at his visitor with unconcealed admiration are you out from the rising sun detective agency yourself he asked the bald impostor smiled i wrote you a letter yesterday he said if you have not received it yet you will soon but i can give you the contents here and now a certain impostor is going about the country philo gubb picked up the letter and glanced at the signature it was indeed signed alwood burns mr gubb extended his hand again and once more shook the hand of his visitor this time far more heartily most glad indeed to meet your acquaintance mr burns said philo gubb heartily it is a pleasure to meet anybody from the offices of the rising sun deteckative agency and if you ever see a man that wrote the complete correspondence course of deteckating i wish the false mr burns smiled i wrote it he said modestly i am most very glad to meet you sir exclaimed philo gubb and again he shook his visitor's hand because ah yes because queried the bald impostor pleasantly because said philo gubb there's a question i want to ask i refer to lesson seven petty thievery detecting same charges therefore i have had some trouble with charges therefore indeed let me see the lesson please said the bald impostor the charges for such services philo gubb read pointing to the paragraph with his long forefinger should be not less than ten dollars per diem that's what it says ain't it it does said the bald impostor well mr burns said philo gubb i took on a job of chicken thief detecting and i had to detect for two diems to do it and that would be twenty dollars wouldn't it it would said the bald impostor which is fair and proper said philo gubb but the old gent wouldn't pay it so i ask you if you'd be kindly willing to go along with me in company and tell him i charge right and according to rates as low as possible of course i will go said the bald impostor all right said philo gubb rising and the old gent is a man you'll be glad to meet he's a prominent citizen gentleman of the town his name is judge orley morvis the bald impostor gasped 
every free-acting pore on his head worked immediately. "'And so he won't suspicion that I'm running in some outsider on him,' said Philo Gubb. "'I'll fetch along this letter you wrote me to certify your identical identity.' He picked up the warning letter from the Rising Sun Agency and stood waiting for the bald impostor to arise. But the bald impostor did not arise. For once at least he was flabbergasted. He opened and shut his mouth like a fish out of water. His head seemed to exude millions of moist beads. He saw a smile of triumph on Philo Gubb's face. Mr. Gubb was smiling triumphantly, because he was able now to show Judge Orley Marvis a thing or two. But the bald impostor was sure Philo Gubb knew he was the bald impostor. He was caught and he knew it, so he surrendered. All right, he said nervously. You've got me. I won't give you any trouble. It's me that's being a troubling nuisance to you, Mr. Burns, said Philo Gubb. The paper-hanger detective stopped short. A look of shame passed across his face. I hope you will humbly pardon me, Mr. Burns, he said contritely. I am ashamed of myself. To think of me starting to get you to attend to my business, when probably you have business much more important that fetched you to Riverbank. A sudden light seemed to break upon Philo Gubb. Of a certain course, he exclaimed. What you come about was this, this, he looked at the letter in his hand, this bald impostor, wasn't it? Philo Gubb's visitor, who had begun to breathe normally again, gasped like a fish once more. He saw Philo Gubb finish reading the description of the bald impostor, and then Philo Gubb looked up and looked at the bald impostor full in the face. He looked the bald impostor over, from bald spot to shoes, and looked back again at the description. Item by item he compared the description in the letter with the appearance of the man before him, while the impostor continued to wipe the palms of his hands with the bald handkerchief. At last Philo Gubb nodded his head. "'Exactly similar to the most nominal respects,' he said. "'Quite identical in every shape and manner.' "'Oh, I admit it, I admit it,' said the bald impostor hopelessly. "'Yes, sir,' said Philo Gubb, "'and I admit it the whilst I admire it. "'It is the most perfect disguise of an imitation I ever looked at.' "'What?' asked the bald impostor. "'The disguise you've got on to yourself,' said Philo Gubb. It is the most marvelously similar in likeness to the description in the letter. If you will take the complimentary flattery of a student, Mr. Burns, I will say I never seen no better disguise got up in the world. You are a real detective artist. The bald impostor could not speak. He could only gasp. If I didn't know who you were of your own self, said Philo Gubb in the most complimentary tones, I'd have thought you were this here description bald impostor himself. His visitor moistened his lips to speak, but Mr. Gubb did not give him an opportunity. "'I presume,' said Mr. Gubb, "'you have done so because you are working upon this bald impostor yourself.' "'Yes.' "'Oh, yes,' said the bald impostor hoarsely. "'Exactly.' "'In that case,' said Mr. Gubb, "'I consider it a high compliment for you to call on me. Us detectives don't usually visit around in disguises.' The visitor moistened his lips again. I wanted to see, he said, but the words were so hoarse they could hardly be heard. I wanted to see. Well now, said Philo Gubb contritely, you mustn't feel bad that I didn't take you for that fraud feller right off. I hadn't read the letter through down to the description quite. If I had, I would have mistook you for him at once. 
the resemblance is most remarkably unique thank you said the bald impostor regaining more of his usual confidence and it was a hard disguise for me to assume i'm not naturally reddish like this my hair is long and black and-and my taste in clothes is quiet mostly blacks or dark blues now the reason i am in this disguise he was interrupted by a loud and strenuous knock on the door mr gubb went to the door but before he had reached it his visitor had made one leap and was hidden behind the office desk for a voice had called impatiently gubb and it was the voice of judge orley morvis when detective gubb had greeted his new visitor he turned to introduce the judge and a look of blank surprise swept his features detective burns was gone for a moment only detective gubb was puzzled there was but one place in the room capable of concealing a full-grown human being and that was the space behind the desk he placed a chair for the judge exactly in front of the desk and himself stood in a negligent attitude with one elbow on the top of the desk in this position he was able to turn his head and by craning his neck a little look down upon the false mr burns mr burns made violent gestures urging secrecy mr gubb allayed his fears i'm glad you come just now judge he said because we can say a few or more words together there being nobody here but you and me i presume you come to talk about the per diem charge i charged to you didn't you yes i did said the judge well i'll be able to prove quite presently or sooner that the price is correctly o k said mr gubb because the leading head of the rising sun deteckative agency is right in town to-day and as soon as he gets done with the job he has on hand he's going up to see you maybe you've heard of allwood burns he wrote the twelve correspondence lessons in deteckating by which i graduated out of the deteckative correspondence school never heard of him in my life said the judge this here said mr gubb not without pride is a personal letter i got from him this a m just now and he handed the judge the letter judge orley morvis took the letter with an air of disdain and began to read it with a certain irritating superciliousness almost immediately he began to turn red behind the ears then his ears turned red then his whole face turned red he breathed hard his hand shook with rage well of all the infernal he began and stopped has the aforesaid impostor been to see you asked philo gubb eagerly me nonsense exclaimed the judge violently do you think i would be taken in by a child's trick like this nonsense mr gubb nonsense i didn't hardly think it was possible said detective gubb possible cried the judge with anger do you think a common faker like that could hoodwink me me give an impostor twenty dollars nonsense sir he arose he was in a great rage about it he stamped to the door and don't let me hear you retelling any such lie about me around this town sir he exclaimed he slammed the door and then the bald impostor slowly raised his head above the desk what did you hide for asked philo gubb the bald impostor wiped his bedewed brow hide he said questioningly oh yes i did hide didn't i yes yes i hid you see you see the judge came in if you hadn't hid said philo gubb 
I could have got that business of the per diem charge per day fixed up right here. I was going to introduce him to you. Yes, going to introduce him to me, said the bald impostor. That was it. That was why I hid. You were going to introduce him to me, don't you see? I don't quite comprehend the meaning of the reason, said Philo Gubb. Why, you see, said the bald impostor glibly, you see, if you introduced me to him, why, why, he'd know me. He'd know you, said Philo Gubb. He'd know me, repeated the false Mr. Burns. I'll tell you why. The bald impostor did call on him. Honest? I was there, said the bald impostor. The judge gave him twenty dollars and a copy of some book or other he had written, and he wrote his autograph in the book. Remember that. The judge wrote his autograph in a book, and gave it to the fellow. I'm telling you this so you can tell the judge. Tell him I told you. Tell him the fellow's mother is much better now. Tell him Judge Bassio Bates' toe is quite well, and then ask him for the twenty dollars he owes you. You'll get it. "'And you was there?' asked Philo Gubb, amazed. "'Out of sight, but there,' said the false Mr. Burns glibly. "'Just ready to put my hand on the fellow, but I couldn't. "'I hadn't the heart to do it. "'I thought of the ridicule it would bring down on the poor old judge. "'You know he's an uncle of mine. I'm his nephew.' "'He said,' said Philo Gubb hesitatingly, "'he'd never heard of you.' He never did, said the bald impostor promptly. I was his third sister's adopted child. I am an adopted nephew. And of course you know he would never have anything to do with his sister after she married, uh, General Winston Wells. Not a thing. It was what killed my poor foster mother. Grief. He wiped his eyes with his silk handkerchief. Grief. Yes, grief and I hadn't the heart to bring shame to the old man by arresting the impostor in his house, by showing that the good old man was such a silly fellow as to be done by a simple trick. And what did it matter? I can pick up the bald impostor in Derlingport. In Derlingport? queried Philo Gubb. In Derlingport, said the bald impostor nervously, for that is where he went. I'll get him there, but half of the thousand dollars is rightfully yours, and you shall have it. Thousand dollars queried Philo Gubb in amazement. The reward has been increased, said the false Mr. Burns. The, the publishers of Who's Who increased it to a thousand because the bald impostor works on the names in their book. They thought they ought to. But you shall have your half of the thousand. I can pick him up in Derlington this afternoon if, if I can get there in time. And of course I should have arrested him here in Riverbank where you are our correspondent and thus entitled to half the reward earned by anyone in the head office. You knew that, didn't you? No, said Philo Gubb. Am I? Didn't you get circular number 786? asked the bald impostor. I didn't ever get the receipt of it at all, said Mr. Gubb. An oversight, said the bald impostor. I'll send you one the minute I get back to Chicago. I'll pick up the bald impostor at Derlingport this afternoon, if— Mr. Gubb, I am ashamed to make an admission to you. I, the bald impostor, sat on the edge of his chair, and pearls of perspiration came upon his brow. He took out his silk handkerchief and wiped his forehead. Go right on ahead and say whatever you got upon your mind to say, said Mr. Gubb. Well, the fact is, 
said the false Mr. Burns nervously. I'm short of cash. I need just one dollar and eighty cents to get to Derlingport. Why, of course, said Philo Gubb heartily. All of us get into similar or like predicaments at various often times, Mr. Burns. It is a pleasure to be able to help out a feller detective in such a time and manner, only— Yes, said the bald impostor nervously. Only I couldn't think of giving you only the bare mere sum to get to Derlingport, said the graduate of the Rising Sun Detective Agency's Correspondent School of Detecting, generously. I couldn't think of letting you start off away with anything less than a ten-dollar bill. End of chapter 13 Recording by Patty Cunningham